Uh, I want to go ahead and encourage you, if you have your Bibles, and I certainly hope that you do, turn with me to Revelation chapter 13 as we continue on in our sermon series on the book of Revelation. We're going to be reading verses 11 through 18 this morning. I want to invite Jackie up to read for us um, out of the text of Scripture. If you would please stand with me, if you are able, um, out of respect for uh, the Word of God as it is read for us. Again, this is Revelation chapter 13, verses 11 through 18. And I want to encourage you to hear the word of the Lord. Jackie, thank you. Thank you. Good morning, church. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man and his number is 666. This is the word of the Lord. Jackie, thank you so much. Church, please be seated, and let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin our time. Father, every week, um, come before you and just ask for your help. Uh, and this week is no difference, but feel the weight of it um, all the more, uh, just because of the text and because of the world in which we live and the, what feels like the season in which we live. And Father, as we look at this beast, this revelation that you have given to us of one of the enemies of your church, one of the enemies of your glory and your throne, I pray, Lord, that you would give us um, wisdom of understanding. Father, that we might be able to see um, the effects of this beast, these antichrists and false prophets that is here given to us and shown to us in this book. Father, I need your help in it because there's so much here and there's so many things that could be missaid or misunderstood. And Father, our desire is that we would simply be aligned with your truth and your word. And may, Lord, we need your spirit to guide us in that, to lead us to truth, to open our eyes, to help us to have ears to hear that we might not, we might fall prey to the beast, that we might not be slain by this beast. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would help us Uh, to do this, to look at your word. Father, that you would help us to do it with love for one another, but also a desire to faithfulness to your truth that you've given to us. Please go with us, uh, go before us, be with us as we look into this word. I pray and ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So if you haven't been with us the past couple weeks, I certainly want to encourage you to go listen, at the very least, 
to last week's sermon because we started in chapter 13. And really, this is a two-part sermon because um, we've got two different beasts that we've got to look at. And so you even see here in just a second, we're going to start our outline with Roman numeral number two uh, because we've already looked at the first beast. And I don't have time to go back and look at all of the different things that were there. And so please take time to go to the uh, website, um, go to your app, go onto a podcast and listen to that so you can have an understanding of that first beast. But today we want to look at the second beast in this text, and that is the beast of the earth. And as we look at this text, we can see right off at the front of this, uh, this chapter, or well, this section of scripture, the goal of this beast is very, very clear. And it is to direct worship away from Christ to the first beast. Like to this idea of, of man-centered government, man-centered salvation, to, to, to change our worship, to shift our worship. And he's trying to accomplish this. Now, this beast, as we look at it, in some respects, and we'll talk in more detail about this, but looks like a counterfeit spirit. Like the spirit, the true spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, he seals his people. This beast puts a mark or a seal upon his people. The Holy Spirit does signs and acts and wonders, and this beast is also seen to be doing signs and acts and wonders. And so we see this beast in many ways as a counterfeit Holy Spirit, but pointing to the worship of something other than Christ, where the Holy Spirit points us to see Jesus. He points us to fix our eyes upon Jesus. Now, when we come to this text, most often what we always end up asking, especially as we get to verses 17 and 18, is, okay, what's the mark of the beast? Like, what's 666 mean? And like, this is something that has fascinated the church uh, for as long as it has been around. Like, we've been trying to discern what is the mark of this beast. And if you know the history of the church, again, you know this isn't new to us. It's not new to our generation as much as we want to see that. Early on, we see that many in the early church used a practice called gematra, which is uh, the idea of, of taking letters of the alphabet and aligning it with, uh, with numbers, right? Kind of like Roman numerals. And they would then try to figure out the names of the people that would, that would kind of align with the number 666. Or some early manuscripts say actually 616. And so this idea is that they would try to do that. And so what we've done throughout history is that when we see people come onto the stage of history that we feel like maybe meets some of the characteristics of the beast or the antichrist or uh, the false prophet, we begin to try to plug their names into the systems, right? So we start to try to do that in the Greek. And if that doesn't work, we try to do it in the Hebrew. And if it doesn't work, then we try to do it in the Aramaic. And so over the course of history, we've seen a lot of people who, who would say, ooh, we figured it out. Most notably, Nero, in the first century, many in the early church believed that his name was aligned with 666 or 616. And so they thought, man, Nero is the beast. But since then, it's been Adolf Hitler, Mikhail Gorbachev, it's been the Pope, it's been, I know this one's going to throw some of you for a loop, Ronald Wilson Reagan. Because six letters in each of his names, yes, that's actually a thing. You can go look at it. Like, like we've picked all kinds of different people that are, are representative of this mark. And not only have we done that, but we've tried an effort to also discern it through, oh, you know what it is? Oh, it's the internet. 
No, it's, it's our credit cards. No, no, it's, it's the vaccine. It's going to be a chip that they're going to put underneath our skin, and they're going to be able to read us. And so we see all of these different things, and we're trying to discern it. Now, here's the thing about that. One, up to this point, we've been wrong. All right? Now, let's just be clear about that. Like, all the efforts to do that, for thousands of years, people have been sure it's this person or this thing, and so far, we've been wrong. So let's be careful and, and at least somewhat pessimistic that we suddenly are going to figure it out, right? Now, that's one thing that we need to be mindful of. But, but when we think about this and we look at all this, we also need to see that in, in honesty and fairness, this comes from a genuine heart, doesn't it? Like, we want to discern. In fact, this is even the call of verse 18. Look at it with me, Revelation 13, 18, which we just read. It says, this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it's the number of a man. And his number is 666. And so while wrong, like these aren't bad efforts for people. People want to find out. People want to have wisdom. They want to be wise. They don't want to get caught off guard. They don't want to accidentally find themselves taking the mark of the beast. And so the heart oftentimes is right. And I would say this morning that we need to be wise, amen? Like we need to be really, really wise because there is danger and it is real. And the closer we get to the return of Jesus, that danger is going to become more and more real and more and more impactful and powerful. So we do need to be wise. But before we can consider what 666 is and what that mark might be, we need to look at the first beast and look at who he is and what he is doing the first thing we're given in this text of Scripture is a description. He is like a lamb, and he is like a dragon. Look at it with me again, verse 11 of chapter 13. And I saw another beast rising out of the earth, and it had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. Now, what is this imagery speaking of? Now, this shouldn't this kind of contrast shouldn't be initially shocking to us, right? Because we've already seen someone who is a lamb but is also a lion way back in the beginning of the book of Revelation. So we've seen these kind of contrasting images, but what is this imagery talking about? Well, he's got horns like a lamb, voice like a dragon. And what are the qualities of a lamb? I know it's something we all think about daily, right? Like what's the qualities of a lamb? A lamb is meek, it's peaceful, it's cuddly, it's harmless. Even uh, oftentimes we think of lambs, we think of sacrifice, we think of laying a life down. Certainly not something dangerous, right? Like I would highly doubt that if you go on a field trip to a farm, which anybody who's grown up in Kansas, like that's one of the first field trips you do in Kansas, you go to a farm somewhere. And if you've done that, I doubt that if you turn around a corner and you see a little lamb running out you, that you're going to turn, scream in fear and run away. Now maybe you would, and if you would, someone please video it and send it because I'd love to see it, right? Like, we're, like, why would we be fearful of a lamb? Lambs aren't fearful, but yet we see that there is a danger here. And whoever or whatever this beast is, he has lamb-like characteristics that are there connected to his what? His power. Why do we know it's his power? Because of the horns. Horns have been represented in the book of Revelation to show us power, to represent power. And so in his power, 
There's something lamb-like. And we don't know if that's meaning that he's going to come and saying he has the power to bring peace or the power to bring hope or salvation or satisfaction. Like we don't know what it is that he's um, coming to say, but he's going to have that characteristic. But the most important part is to know what comes behind it. While it looks similar to to the power of the lamb underneath what is facing outward is something far more sinister. He is the voice of a dragon. Well, we already know who the dragon is, don't we? Revelation chapter 12 told us who the dragon is. The dragon is Satan. He is the enemy. And what does his voice sound like? Well, we know what his voice sounds like because Jesus told us what the voice of Satan sounds like, didn't he? Look at it with me in John chapter 8. He says, you, he's speaking to the Pharisees and the scribes, are of the father of the devil. Not something I want Jesus to say about me, but nonetheless, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Man, that is a big word, isn't it? There's no truth in him. Not like he's got some truth, but he's kind of like, no, there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, his nature, something that cannot be changed, for he is a liar. He is the father of lies. So here's the thing. Here's what we see in this text. Like this beast, whoever he is, whatever he is, he's going to look like the lamb. He's going to look like he's got the power of the lamb, but he is a liar. He may be proclaiming to be powerful, to bring peace and salvation, claiming to be powerful to deal with sins or to deal with conscience or guilt. Like we don't know what that's going to be look like, but we know that all of that is going to be laden with deception and lies. Because that's his goal, right? To put something forward that looks like Jesus, that looks good, but behind it is a lie. To turn our attention away, to get us to worship something else, but there's more about him. We see that he's performing um, powerful signs and wonders, even fiery signs, And we're given now imagery, imagery we've seen before in the book of Revelation. We've seen it before in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we see Moses and Elijah, and they have these powers of signs and calling fire down from heaven. We see the two witnesses in chapter 11 having very similar signs and the ability to conduct these signs. This beast is going to look like a prophet. He's going to look like someone who has the spirit in him, but it isn't the spirit It's going to look like it, but it's not. There's this idea that sometimes we're going to be able to discern what is coming at us because it won't have power is just emphatically false. Satan has power, and he's going to be able to do signs. We see this beast is going to look like not a true prophet, but he's going to look and be a false prophet. And many believe, and I would agree, that this, is, this beast is the false prophet that's talked, spoken about in chapter 16, verse 13 of Revelation, spoken about in chapter 19, verse 20, and this false prophet is spoken about in chapter 20, verse 10. Like, this is the false prophet. And is it not true that Jesus warned us about this spirit, about this type of person, and these things being in our day? Matthew 24, Jesus Speaking in context of the days that he would return says this, and many, what, false 
prophets will arise and they will do what? Lead many astray. They might perform signs. They might seem, speak messages of peace, kindness, love. It may sound like it's going to come from God. It may even be able to quote scriptures to us, but it's going to be false. And consider a true prophet. A true prophet are people who are filled with the Spirit of God. And they're people who can do signs like in the book of Acts. Signs and wonders like in the book of Acts as the gospel goes forward. They're people who by the Spirit are led into truth and by the Spirit have the power to proclaim truth. Whereas here we have the counterfeit spirit at work. The spirit that looks like the spirit of Jesus. And he can do signs. But he does not lead people to truth. He leads people to what? Lies and deception. Now, I believe that we have in this beast the spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit of the false prophet. And I believe that he is here now. Let that sink in for just a second. He is here now. I think there's been many since Jesus ascended. There are many currently right now among us, and there are going to be many more to come, or at least some more to come, likely being embodied and manifested in one final individual or system of the Antichrist or false prophet to come. And you say, well, no, Darren, like this is only one Antichrist. There's only one Antichrist, and it's at the very end of time. So listen, don't take my words for it. Listen to what Jesus and John themselves say. And Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 24, again, speaking in context of the end days of the latter times, he says this, for false Christs and false prophets will arise. And I'm like, that's an emphatic statement. Like, they're going to come. And they're going to perform great signs and wonders. Does that sound familiar to what we're reading in Revelation? And they're going to provide, you know, perform great signs and wonders so as to do what? Lead astray, if possible, even the elect. And I love that, if possible, like that can happen, right? But it's not just Jesus, although his word is sufficient. John says the same. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. John's talking in the first century, brothers and sisters. He's not just talking about what's to come in the future. And he says, therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Now, John wrote that in the first century. Now, we don't believe that John is wrong. We don't believe that he contradicts Scripture. We believe that he's true and he's speaking truth. Therefore, based on what Matthew says or what Jesus says and what John says, the spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit of the false prophet, he's here now. Now. Brothers and sisters, here's why this is so important for us. We cannot wait to be watchful until we think that one individual person comes upon the scene to be the final manifestation of this beast. We cannot wait to be watchful until that happens. We must understand that there are some who would claim Jesus right now in our day and age who are in line with this spirit and we need to be watchful, and we need to be discerning people. We need to be looking at the scriptures and discerning what it is that's coming and what it is that we're being um, told in everything that we see and everything that we listen to. Because
Because Jesus and John both believe that this beast is at work. He's been at work since the first century, and he's continued to be at work, and he's going to be at work all the way into the end. Now, I want to illustrate this for us. And here's what I want to do. I'm going to show you a couple of clips from some some self-proclaimed Jesus followers. That's what they say, not what I say. And here's what I want you to do, uh, and I'll, I'll kind of explain each one of these clips afterward, but I want you to listen for, very intently, I want you to listen to see if you can find the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, I'm not saying any of these people are the Antichrist, right? Please you go put that on a clip somewhere and put it out on web because I don't want to be like accused of that. That's not what I'm saying. But see if you can see the deception and see if you can see the falsity that is in some of these clips. Watch with me. In Genesis, we see human understanding of God that desires us to conform, to be faithful, to, hear, to adhere to a set of propositional truths. And then the rest of the Hebrew Bible lays out objective truths and rules and regulations that God supposedly requires. But in Jesus and beyond, we see that propositional truth isn't objectively true at all. Jesus looks at the propositions of the Hebrew Bible and says, you have heard it said, and quotes, but I say to you, and gives a new, a better, a higher moral standard than that which was previously said to be true. It makes sense then that by the time we get to Jesus, salvation isn't talked about as conformity to ancient propositions, but dedication to following the wild winds of spirit constantly metanoiaing, expanding our minds to perceive the new contours and textures and terrains of this thing called truth. By the time we get to Jesus, we see that the concept of truth has completely evolved in human consciousness. And in our day, it seems that we're on the brink of another transformation in our understanding of truth. And quoting from Psalm 82, Jesus said, you are all sons of the Most High. You are all gods. That's what Jesus said. Do you believe him? Because Jesus says in today's gospel, all who believed, all who believe this will have eternal life. If you believe that, really believe that, that you're a child of God, you are the light, you are God's, you experience salvation. Salvation is not about the next life. It's not about when you die, you're saved in the next life. Salvation means freedom. When you awaken to this truth about yourself, you live a life of freedom. There is no necessary conflict between evolution and theism because evolution is a means. Theism says there was an agent. There, I have one high school biology teacher, Christian, here. It's like, please, would somebody make this clear? I know this is like really important because people come home, kids come home from biology class, high school, like, well, you know, but evolution, no, we don't believe in evolution, we believe in creation. Let us make man in our image. God needed someone to show the world what he looked like, or else he would have just been a concept. God would have been an abstract theory. So he made man and woman to reflect who he was. He needed someone to show his nature through, so he made me and you. James said something curious. He said, if you listen to the word and don't do it, you're like a man who looks at himself in a mirror in the beginning was a word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. My maker is my mirror. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. 
you are not my maker. You will not be my mirror. When God said, I am to Moses, you know, my name is I am, he was trying to get him to see you are as I am. You only have authority over the storm you can sleep in. In other words, the place where you have peace is where you have authority to bring peace. What did Jesus do in this situation? It says he rebuked the wind and the waves, and he spoke or released peace over the storm, and the chaos outside of him had to submit to the peace that was inside of him. So his internal reality became his external reality. The world that was in him, remember Jesus taught this, the kingdom is within you. Which to me means all kingdom issues are heart issues. And when heart issues are dealt with, the world around you has to yield itself to your personal internal victory. The world around you, when you know what you're doing, when you know how to utilize the tools that God gives you, the world around you starts to take the shape of the world that is in you. So, I'm sure you recognize some of those names and some of those faces. I want to be really clear again here. My desire, I'm not trying to be a heresy hunter. I'm not trying to tell you that uh, these people, they're all going to hell, anything like that. I don't know. Like, that, that's not the point. The point is the enemy is crafty, and the enemy is deceptive. And the point is we cannot just listen to these things and, and hear people just because they say Jesus is Lord Right? Just because they say that doesn't mean we should just listen to everything they say and say, oh, that's true. Many of these, although not all of them, would agree with our eight-point statement of faith here at Central Christian Church. We need to be discerning. So let me just walk through, and I hope you notice it. The first clip is, is from Brandon Robinson. He's a, a very influential TikTok, Instagram pastor. And what does he say about truth? you remember, he says that it's constantly expanding, that we're constantly expanding our minds to the new contours and terrains of this thing called truth. How does truth have new contours and terrains? Like, isn't truth just truth? Like, isn't truth just that? He gives Jesus, he says Jesus is the one who validates this point. Like, do you hear the Antichrist in this? Jesus isn't truth, but he gives us permission to and challenges us to expand our minds to ever-changing truth. Truth isn't changing. Two plus two is never going to change to become six, although our society might like to tell you that it will. Like, so, so listen to, why is this an antichrist mindset? Because who, in this understanding of truth, becomes the one who holds truth? Is it Jesus, who's the truth and the way and the life? No, it's you and me. We get to discern what truth is. Based on the world around us, based on our culture, based on our own experiences, which is why Brandon Robinson is a practicing homosexual. Because to him, that's just part of what you do. Salvatore, the second clip, he quotes Jesus from Psalm 82, and he says, man, you're all sons of God, meaning that you are God. And you hear the voice of the dragon? You hear what he's saying? If you listen to it carefully, you can hear it, because if you awaken to this reality that you are the son of God or the daughter of God, man, then you will be free. And this is salvation. It's not about eternity. It's not about your sins. It's about freeing you to be the person you want to be. Because, man, if you're, the, if you're God, like, why can't you just do whatever you want? Like, do you hear the dragon? 
do, do you hear the Antichrist there? He's not the one that tells us how to live or what to do. Jesus, again, he's not the way, the truth, and the life. Your own godness is the way, the truth, and the life. And that's what salvation is about. Andy Stanley. I mean, he says there's no necessary conflict between evolution and theism. He's bending to the culture because he doesn't want to have to deal with the questions of science and all those types of things, which I'm so glad for our VBS program because they do a phenomenal job helping our kids understand this. There is a direct conflict between evolution and theism because Jesus said that it was created in seven days. You erode that, you erode believing in Jesus. Now, what does anything Jesus have to say mean? Like, who gets to discern and interpret what Jesus means? Well, now I get to just discern and interpret what Jesus means based off of my own feelings, based on my own culture and my own perceptions. No, no, Jesus speaks truth. We bend to what he says. We don't bend what he says to what we believe. Do you see the Antichrist? Do you see the false prophet? Stephen Furtick, he says, when God said, I am to Moses, he was trying to get him to see that you are as I am. No. No. Like, even his argumentation, and to be fair, maybe it's out of context, but even his argumentation for why is that God needs us to be able to show who he is. God needs nothing. Like, and did you hear the people clap? Man, yeah, I am just like he is. No, we're not. We're broken and we're sinful and we need him to lead us to truth. We don't know the way. He knows the way. Like our hearts are deceptively wicked. Man, I know some of y'all, like you hear, you see some of these faces on the screen, you're like, oh man, Dan's going after that. No, that's not the intent. And then you see Bill Johnson and you have millions of Christians following his teachings and the teachings that come out of Bethel and Redding, California. And you're going to notice that we as a church, we're not singing Bethel songs anymore because we feel this is becoming more and more prevalent. But listen to what Bill Johnson tells us. He says that Jesus, Jesus' internal reality became his external reality. And that the world around you has to yield itself to your personal victory. When you just know how to use the tools in this world, it'll start to take the shape that you want it to take. Let me make this really, really clear. That's new age law of attraction. It's what Oprah teaches. It's what so many other teachers that, man, listen, if you just think it enough inside of yourself, then the reality outside of you has to submit to the reality inside of you. That is not of the Bible. And, and why is that an antichrist? Because in this, who becomes the creator? I do. Because I can create my own reality. I can use the tools, and yeah, it's got all kinds of flowery language, and we're attaching Jesus to it, and it sounds great, and it's biblical, and we can even point to little scriptures and say, look, see, this is what it is. And yet, at the same time, like what we're saying is, I'm creator. I get to manipulate God to do what I want and to create the reality that I want. That is not a far jump, brothers and sisters, from saying, I, in reality, I'm a girl. And so I'm just going to believe that hard enough, say it enough in my mind, and you know what? Then the reality outside has to submit to the reality inside. This is the same stuff, brothers and sisters. So for us to believe that this stuff is not in our world puts at extreme danger. And I know that this can make some of you upset. 
Because some of you may listen to some of those folks and you may read some of their books and and listen, I'm not trying to say that those people are the Antichrist, but I am saying I would be a horrible shepherd if I did not tell you that that spirit is out there. And you can be mad at me all day long, but what they say is not in line with this. It's not in line with the word that he's given to us, the truth that he's given to it. And we, if we're not discerning, we're going to flip on a podcast and hear someone say, well, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And all the while, it is not Jesus. It is something entirely different. It doesn't matter if they claim Jesus. If their version of Jesus ultimately is not the true Jesus, or if their theology or their belief elevates anyone or anything else to the level of Messiah, that is what this beast is trying to do to get us to worship something besides Jesus. An image of anything else. He doesn't care. Anything but Jesus. Because there is salvation in no other name but Jesus. Like none. It doesn't matter who you are. Right? So while the beast seems to be certainly primarily religious, I also believe this can manifest itself in living worshipful lives towards ourself and towards our flesh, towards this world, right? Because if I just do what I want and seek pleasure in my own life, like who ultimately is God? I, I am. I'm the most important person. Now, again, will there be a final manifestation of this? I, I genuinely believe so. Who is it? I don't know. We don't know. But I do think that if we understand what this beast is seeking to do and the spirit of this beast and the spirit of the Antichrist and the spirit of these false prophets and we seek to be discerning in accordance with God's word, then we're going to be able to discern not only when it is now, but whoever comes in the future and takes on that mantle. Amen? And that's what we want to do. I want to look for a second. I want to step out of Revelation. I want to look at Deuteronomy chapter 11. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 11, we have this moment where the people of Israel are getting ready to go into Canaan, a land full of false gods and pleasures and wealth and all kinds of different things. And he gives them a command. And I think there's principles in Deuteronomy chapter 11 that can help us to be discerning people. So, Deuteronomy chapter 11. Verse 18 and then verses 22 and 23. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. For if you will be careful to do all this commandment that I command you to do, loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways and holding fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you and you will dispossess the nations greater and mightier than you. So, when we are faced with lies, when we are faced with power, when we are faced with signs, when we are faced with those that would claim Jesus, how can we discern? First, I think that we can do this. Lay up in our hearts and bind in our minds his words. Listen, the beast cannot easily deceive someone who knows this. And I want to be very clear. I don't mean know it on a surface level. I mean know it front and back, back to front, inside and outside. You cut me, I bleed this. 
That's the way I talk about knowing it. I don't mean knowing one verse of scripture that you can use to prove a point, but to know all so that you can see when someone is leveraging a text of scripture. And and listen, I want to please you. This is the most practical thing I would tell my own kids. In fact, I do tell my own kids this all the time. When you're thinking about this and you're thinking about reading the scriptures and you go, oh man, Stephen Furtick was quoting scripture and so was, um, so, so was Salvatore and so was Brandon Robinson. Like, how am I supposed to know? Listen, here's what you need to do. You need to be constantly asking people what they mean. What do they mean? You can have salvation. Well, what do you mean? What do you mean by salvation? Like, what's your definition of salvation? Because if your definition of salvation isn't consistent with the definition of salvation here, It's a lie. Oh, we want to be loving. Jesus loves everybody, and Jesus wants everybody to come to faith. And Jesus wants, uh, like, he's just the most loving being on the whole planet, and he came to love, to love, 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 love. Guess what? I agree. God is love, but I do not agree with their definition of love. And you need to say, well, what do you mean by love? Because if you mean by love just affirming me in everything that I do, that is not love. You see what I'm saying? Like, just because someone says something from the Bible, or just because someone quotes something from the Bible, you can't just assume they mean what you mean. And you certainly can't assume that what they're saying is in consistency with the Word of God. So you need to say, what do you mean by love? What do you mean by salvation? What do you mean by Jesus is your Lord? That's an interesting question, isn't it? What do you mean by Jesus is your Lord? We need to be full of the word of God and we need to ask consistently, what do you mean? Because the enemy loves to take the language of the word of God and give it different meanings to twist and to deceive and to point us towards ourselves. So don't be fooled, church. Second, we must love the Lord. A minute ago I asked the question, I said, what does it mean if someone says, I love the Lord? How can we answer that question? Because uh, we know in the scripture it says that if anyone confesses with their mouth and believes with their heart that Jesus Christ is the Lord and raised from the dead, then he is saved, right? Okay, so that's the litmus test. Can you say that Jesus is Lord? Well, here's a problem. Remember Matthew chapter 7? What happens? People are coming to Jesus and they're saying, Lord, Lord. Did we not do this and did we not do that and did we not do this? And Jesus says, away from me, I never knew you. Some of the scariest words in all of text of scripture. So, okay, wait a minute. Lord can't just be a word that I quote with someone. So what does it mean? Well, it's interesting. If we want to be known by Jesus and we don't want to hear the words, away from me, I never knew you. The scripture tells us that if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Okay, so if I want to be known by God, I need to love God. So does that mean I just need to have a warm, gushy, mushy feeling towards Jesus? Like some of y'all ladies might think that's okay, like that's good for you. Some of us, our guys are like, ooh, I'm not quite in touch with my emotions that way. I don't know how to do that. And what does it mean to love God? Well, I'm glad the scripture has given us the definition of that. He said, if you love me, you will do what? Some of you knew, keep my commandments. So, so here's the thing. So Brandon Robertson can say all day long, Jesus is my Lord. But you know why we know that's not the case? Because he's living an active lifestyle of homosexuality. And he's saying that it's right and good and holy. And that is a sin and it is wrong. 
So it doesn't matter what someone says. The question is, are they being? Are we loving the Lord our God, seeking to obey his commandments, all of them, even the ones that go against our nature and make us uncomfortable? Lay up these words in our heart. Love the Lord our God with our whole heart, whole mind, whole soul, soul by obedience to him because he is the Lord. Next, we hold fast to him. We cling to him. The real him. The real Jesus. And part of how we do this is we test the spirits. Just because we see power or we have an experience or we feel a feeling does not mean that that is the spirit of God and that is the real Jesus. Let me say that again. Signs and wonders, experiences and feelings is not the litmus test to test the validity of a spirit. We need to test those things because other spirits, they have power. We can have experiences about all kinds of things. Let me just ask the question, are your feelings trustworthy? One, one. Like, no, like they're not. Like they're not trustworthy at all. I'm a mess. I ebb and flow. Like we're a disaster when it comes to our feelings and our experiences because our hearts are deceptively wicked. So with that case, like, what do we do? Do we just say, like, well, I know that sounds a little off scripture, but it just feels like Jesus is there. I, I don't care. Your feelings mean nothing in that sense. I'm not saying your feelings mean nothing in a sense that they don't matter. They do matter, and God cares about our emotions and our feelings, but that's not the litmus test. You need to take those feelings and align it up to ensure that it's the same Jesus, that it's the right Jesus, that it's the Jesus of the Bible. And if your feelings don't align with that, then, man, you should run for the hills. You should cling to Jesus, cling to what he has called us to, cling to the true Father, the true Spirit. What is the litmus test of the Spirit's work? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, not in just the public, but in the quiet, in the dark. Are you applying these things to discern? Are you looking at the scriptures? Are you holding fast to Jesus? Are you clinging to him? Are you loving the Lord your God by trying to keep all of his commandments? Brothers and sisters, if we want to discern the beast and his work, this is a good place to start. It's a great place to start. Now, I want to end by saying this as part of the next step of this text. And it's the warning don't take his mark. So what is it? Right? Like, what is the mark? Well, there's only two marks that we have in Scripture. There's the mark of the true spirit as he seals his people and he seals them on their heads. That's a spiritual mark. Hopefully many of you in this room have it. Hopefully many of you listening online have that mark. But there's also another mark and that's the mark of the beast. Likely meaning that that mark is at least first and foremost spiritual in nature. Now, that does not mean that it won't be a physical mark someday, but at least is it first and foremost a spiritual marking, just like the one of the Holy Spirit that he puts upon his people. So what does it mean? We're told to calculate the number of this. What does 666 mean? Well, it's interesting. And again, I don't say this necessarily definitively, but I do think that it can be backed up through lots of other types of scripture that I don't have time to go into. But, but what does 666 mean? In the text, it says that it's the mark of a man. Well, that article is not in the Greek, meaning that that can be translated both humanity or a man, 
right? So it could be that it's a mark of mankind. It's the mark of humanity, the mark of humanistic understanding. Now you think, well, okay, well, where else could that be? And how else do we see that? Well, six is seen as an incomplete number. Think of creation. What day was man created? Man was created on the sixth day. Creation would not have been complete without a seventh day. You say, well, okay, so it's an incomplete number. It's the, man, the number of man in the scriptures. Okay, why are there three of them? Well, we know three means complete. And so there's 666. What could that mean? Well, I believe that it partially means, at least in some senses, complete incompleteness. Think about that. In us, as mankind, in our ability to find salvation in ourselves, in our ability to find worship in the created, we are completely incomplete. We're completely incomplete. And the question is, are we taking on our hearts, on our lives, that kind of a mark? Are we being marked by a trust in that kind of system and world and antichrist and false prophecy that puts mankind ahead of God? So let me just help you think through this a little bit more practically. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were tempted to take the mark when they were told to look at an image of Nebuchadnezzar. Why? Because it was a worship of him, a worship of a man. First century Christians were tempted to take the mark when they had, a, had to have a certificate to buy and sell stating that they had given incense in worship to Caesar. If you didn't have that certificate, you couldn't buy or sell anything. Like You couldn't engage in commerce. And so they were tempted to take the mark to worship mankind, to worship governance and authority and salvation and all these different things that are wrapped up in that spirit. Might this danger go beyond just the temptation to worship a specific man? Might this spirit of humanism be all around us? The desire for humans to be able to discern what is right and wrong? Humans be able to figure out and find salvation to discern what is the good life? Again, will there be a day when we have to take a physical mark to live in this world? Absolutely possible. Absolutely may be. But if that day comes, I hope that we will be fully aware of what is going on and we will all refuse that. But what if we are being warned of a danger to take a spiritual mark even now? A mark on our head, meaning that we've completely adopted the ideologies and taken the characteristics of this kind of mindset. Mark on our hands, meaning that we, we practice it. Even if we don't believe it, like we still practice it in our lives. What if that's the case now? I'm going to step away here, and I'm going to be very frank because I don't want to ever be in a place of hypocritical realities of my own life and be considered that. Like, There's some real wrestle that's gone on in my own family as we've thought through this process. Because you think about what, what it is that we're being asked to engage in in this culture, in this world. And I feel so often now that every time I hand my money to certain companies and organizations, I'm propagating a humanistic, ungod-centered, man-centered philosophy that they know what's right, he doesn't, worship man, do what man wants. So that I'm feeling that, well, wait a minute, like every time I give my money to Disney or to Starbucks, or to Ford. You know, they've got this new Ford truck that's painted like a rainbow, and they're redefining tough. That's their slogan right now um, in June. 
like Adidas, North Face, like these are all companies. Target, right? Like that one's not in the news at all right now. Like, like, and here's the idea, like, like every single time we give our money to those things and we buy of those things, are we not in some ways supporting them propagating that garbage? Now, I'm not calling for boycott. I'm calling, I'm saying I'm wrestling with that in my own home. Because you know what I hear in my mind and the justification that comes to my mind is, well, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? What am I going to buy? Everybody's doing it. There's no business that's not doing it. They're all pushing it down my throat. It's everywhere. What am I supposed to do? Isn't that what Revelation tells us is coming? And I'm just being fully transparent. Like, I still have a Disney subscription right now. I don't know that we should keep it. Like, am I, am I being tempted to give over to the ideas of, the, of, of humanism and, and getting that mark on my own life and family. Like, I don't want to mess with that stuff. And I don't know that I have an answer for you, but I think we should be wrestling with it, don't you? Like, shouldn't we be at least like, talking about it as brothers and sisters and encouraging each other? How can we be faithful? Like, this is hard stuff. These are hard things. And I, that, that justification of like, what am I supposed to do and where am I supposed to buy these things and what am I supposed to watch, that terrifies me because I see it in Revelation 13. Now, I definitely believe this is not just about false teachers. It's about false worldviews that puts anything but Jesus in the category of worship. And we can say with words all day long that Jesus is our Lord, but practically we can live our lives as if our Lord is our entertainment and our pleasure, our government, social justice causes, sex, drugs, alcohol, movies, whatever. I mean, we could go down the list. We could say we can live practically if that's the case. Brothers and sisters, we need to understand this. Lord isn't a title. We give someone. It's not a title of acknowledgement. It is an allegiance we bend our lives to. Let me say that again. Lord is not a title, an acknowledgement that we give someone Lord is an allegiance that we bend our lives to. Are our lives bent to Jesus and Jesus alone? Like, if that's the case, we don't need to worry about taking the mark of the beast, amen? In whatever form it comes, whenever it comes, if we are bent to Jesus, you don't need to worry at all. Like, it ain't gonna come. So I think we need to seek to lay up his words in our heart. We need to love him by obeying his commandments, not just some of them, all of them. We need to look at walking in his ways, in all of his ways, holding fast to him, testing every single spirit. And again, I don't think we need to fear accidentally taking the mark. You'll see it, and I hope you'll refuse to have it. And we know that refusal is going to cause hatred and anger against us as the people of God. Now, I just want to close with this last statement. Again, I am not saying that there will not one day be a very specific and physical mark that goes against the people of God. I am saying this. There is a spiritual one. And I want you to hear me very carefully. If you don't take the spiritual one, you won't take the physical one. You know what I said? If you don't take the spiritual one, you won't take the physical one if and when that comes to pass. And you don't need to worry. So Christians, for us, 
Man, we need to live with a recognition that this beast is seeking to deceive us. Is seeking to lead us away and he's here now. Are we laying up God's words in our hearts? Are we binding them to ourselves? Are we loving him by obeying his commands and walking in his ways? Are we holding fast to true Jesus? Are we seeking to recognize spirits that are not his? Are we trying to recognize antichrists and false prophets that are out there, always doing so with gentleness and love? I I plead with all of us not to be apathetic about this as the day draws near. And I think it is drawing near. I plead with you not to trust your heart. Oh man, like that's the worst thing we can do. But you know what you can do? You can trust his word. And you can trust his spirit. Don't trust your feelings. But put on the armor of God and fight against the beast and his lies. And ask these questions. They're hard ones. And I don't have all the answers to it. But I think we all want to be faithful. If you're not a believer in this space, I want to remind you that this text tells us there's only two marks. There's the mark of those who are in his kingdom, and there's the mark of the beast, those who are out of his kingdom. I love that our kids this week are going to learn about the two kingdoms, because there's only two. And I would just say this, that if you are not, and you don't have the mark of this kingdom, the kingdom of God and Christ and through his son Jesus, like, and you have the mark of the beast, or you have the mark of this kingdom, spiritually speaking, like, for you... I don't mean to say this is scary, but judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And he's saying, come to me, come to me, come to me. And you can today. You can put your trust in the King Jesus who will reign forever. You can put your trust in the one who is true and he is the way and he is the light and he can actually offer what all of that beast promises and all the false promises of that beast. And so I want to encourage you in that. I want you to pray with me. Father, this morning, like, this, this is hard stuff. And I just pray that this morning I've been able to be faithful uh, to communicate what is revealed in your word. Father, I know that this probably leads a lot of us to ask a lot of questions about where we are what we're holding to, like what we're complying, how we're compromising what you would find to be values that are absolutely part of your character just because we want to engage in certain entertainments or engage in certain uh, conveniences or niceties within this world. But I'm wrestling with that. I don't know exactly how far that goes. But I want to be faithful, and I know many in this room do, many online do. So I pray you'd give us wisdom. I pray, Father, you'd give us eyes to see. I pray, Father, you'd help us to see. Father, I pray against the deceptions of the enemy that as we listen and we engage other teachers and those that are, are proclaiming to be your servants, that we, by your spirit, would be able to discern what is true and what is false. And we would not be part of what is false even if it makes us feel good, like we wouldn't be a part of it, like we'd run from it. Father, I pray that you'd help us have that strength. Like we need your strength to do that. I need your strength to do that. So Lord, I pray that you would help us in that.
Father, I pray that if there's some in this room this morning that they've given themselves over to some of those beliefs, open their eyes. Father, I pray for those in this room that have, that have taken the mark and they're trusting in their own way and they're trusting in uh, the, the promises of mankind and the promises of the creation, not the creator. And they're worshiping themselves and they're worshiping others and they're worshiping their own feelings and their own ideas. I pray, Lord, that you would open their eyes to see the end of that is judgment and death. And there's a practical evidences of that all around us. Help them to not be deceived. I pray, Lord, you'd help them to see that they'd come and they'd find the peace and the joy and the truth that is in your son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray that by your spirit you'd help us. That you'd help us to keep these things that we might find blessing. Father, I pray that you would help us to walk in these things that we might endure and that we might conquer and find our inheritance. So, Lord God, in the next couple of moments as we sing this song, would you just continue to work in our hearts, continue to move, call us to respond. Pray that you'd help us to be bold to respond in whatever ways that you're leading us to. We pray and ask these things in your name. Amen.